Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, what's your go-to corporate gift? I typically find I'm safest with a bottle of booze. Sometimes I get creative, but old faithful, pretty reliable. That's why Q4 is so important to the alcohol industry. It's not just a consumer play, but it's also a B2B play. Whether it's going for a festive meal or gifting, sales for Q4 are always big on alcohol. I don't think much is going to change this year to you. Not so much. You may not be celebrating holidays with groups of people, but you're definitely still drinking for those who drink, drink responsibly, but you're still gifting. But really, haven't we been drinking straight since March? I mean, if Brave Commerce is any type of proxy, I'd say so. Or even just look at the two of us. (laughs) Gifting, though, is probably going to be less in store and more online. You know, no different than anything else, but that is pretty new for this category. Certainly. And it gets even more complicated as uh, we heard from Wayne a few weeks ago. You know, the rules for alcohol vary state by state in the U.S. But then when you think about it globally, there's even more change. Like you can order booze on Amazon in England and think about how challenging it is to manage global e-com for an alcohol brand when you've got all of those different regulations. While challenging, I actually would love to have that job right now because all you can do is go up. I'm really... Which is always my strategy when picking jobs. Today, we have our first ever international guest. We're going across the pond. Stuart Heffernan joins us as the global head of e-commerce at Pernod Ricard, which produces some of the most iconic brands in the world, like Absolute, Jameson, and Chivas. I am so stoked to have Stu here. Stu is uh, one of the first people I met since I joined Profitero and has been an incredibly helpful Sherpa to me. So I'm hopeful that uh, he'll be able to share his wisdom with the rest of you as well. 
One of the things I found really fascinating, Stu, when we when we first met is you, you gave me a little bit of a history of your background. You've really traversed the ecosystem. You've worked in startups and e-com, retail, country e-com lead, even at Pernod, and now global e-com lead. How does that diversified experience help you in your job today? Hi, yeah, um, it's a great question, Sarah, and it's great to be here. So thank you to Rachel and Sarah for having me as the first international guest. Yeah, I've been in e-commerce for 18 years. I started in Tesco.com in 2002. Uh, and there's two ways to look at that breadth of experience. It's either A, there's a lot of experience, or I couldn't hold down a job. Um, <laughs> I'd like to think there was some element of planning to my career. But yeah, I thought I'd seen it all in e-commerce. The last year I was in Barcelona for a conference and a meeting at, at Pernod Ricard, and they was, got caught up in the Barcelona riots for in- Catalonian independence. That was a lot of fun, seeing a road on fire. In fact, there was 10 we counted on the bus back to the hotel. And I thought I'd seen it all until March happened. Finally, I got to say, you know, across all those perspectives, I told you so, e-commerce was going to be quite important at some point. You know, but unfortunately, I never said at any point in my career, just think what would happen if there was a global pandemic and people couldn't go to stores anymore. You know, that fear factor, man. If you, it, you, <laughs> sometimes, you know, it's carrot or stick. And sometimes you just got to say, what if there was a pandemic? Absolutely. Absolutely. What if? I'll be storing that one for the future. What if there's another one? Um but I think I started at Tesco.com in about 2002 when it was 0.5% of a supplier's grocery business was going through online. The broadband had just hit the UK and we just saw exponential growth really quickly. Um, and I was there for about five years uh, and um, you know, there was nowhere to go really in e-commerce at that time. I was effectively running a category of chilled meats and dairy and a few other tactical bits and pieces. I worked across about soft drinks. I did some time in alcohol. And we were just learning um, how to, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing, if we're being frank. And we were trying to show suppliers how to operate in this new platform, this new way of shopping, uh, where people would spend about £100 in 20 minutes rather than spend £30 in 50 minutes in store. And how do you get on that shopping list? And, and you know, we were doing a lot of learning. How do you how do you target media? How do you attract customers? How do you keep customers and shoppers? And, you know, then there was this consumer who was browsing online but not shopping online. That came eventually. And how do we understand that? What we called the Ropo Shopper, Research Online Purchase Offline. And I got really curious about stuff, and there was nowhere to go. So I took a job. I wanted to make my millions before I was 30. Um, um, clearly, that didn't happen. Don't we all, man? Don't we all? <laughs> Absolutely. So... Uh, I did a few digital startups, and I think that really helps e-commerce and digital people, you know, um, because effectively e-commerce teams, wherever I've been, when I move supplier side especially, you're always starting a new team. I think that's going to change now, but certainly for the past seven years odd that I've been supplier side, uh, which is where I always wanted to be, I foresaw that, you know, businesses would need e-commerce people, and it's a great way to future-proof your resume, but... um, yeah, it was a real learning. You, you have to sort of self-start. I remember that um, the one digital startup I did in the UK, British Telecom, couldn't install our telephone lines in our new office. We worked from home for two months, then we got an office. So I had to rewire the telephone lines. Otherwise, I couldn't pick up the phone and call potential clients and start marketing our business. So we got into the shared office we were in, and we just fiddled around for about three or four hours. And some, you know, I don't know how I did it because I'm not a telephone engineer. It worked. And I think that, you know, you have to do that in e-commerce. If you apply that to, you know, looking at spreadsheets of data, expecting someone to do it for you because, you know, we're all very busy or all our colleagues are very busy running the offline business or doing their own jobs. And that's really tough. So I think, um, you know, retail aside, 
I really learned how to interact with suppliers and, you know, you, you've got to sell it to people in a good way, in a consultative way through data and guide them through this landscape. And then working at startups, digital media startups and e-commerce startups, it was like, you've got to do this yourself. No one's going to do it for you. Otherwise, you're not going to get paid, literally. And then um, going into sort of being country lead or digital strategy manager when I was at Kerry Foods, you know, you land with a blank piece of paper on your desk and no one's done this job before you at that company. So you really got to build a, a strategy and a selling structure, but you've got to take people with you. And I'm very conscious that it took me a while to understand commercial leaders need to understand how to do e-commerce and why it's different and the impact it's going to bring in the positive way for them. But also as e-commerce in inverted commerce experts, and I don't think there is such a thing as an e-commerce expert. I'm very wary of them because this market's channel moves too quickly. We can't stay focused on e-com. We have to look at the wider business. So well, this up- podcast isn't going to go well because I certainly <laughs> brand myself that way. <laughs> 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 I can uh, I I think that they're uh, within certainly within suppliers uh, supplier side if if I hear someone say oh I'm an e-commerce manager and I'm an e-commerce expert in the supplier business I just don't think that can exist I think we need experts from outside in different fields to help us build a story Totally I mean I buy into <laughs> that this is a field where you're forever learning and especially when algorithms change overnight but Stu you know in your category specifically you're having a pretty wild year when it comes to e-commerce. Um, you've been in the field since the early 2000s. There are a lot of people now who have the title, you know, head of e-com, e-com director. What do you believe is table stake knowledge today for someone who's leading global e-com? The key thing, it's not for me, it's not about necessary e-commerce. It's about learning. You touched it there, Rachel. You're 100% right. It's about, you know, if you look at Amazon's 14 leadership principles, I actually really, you know, I love those. You know, one of the ones that always, what really resonates with me, especially when we're recruiting is be curious. You know, why, why have my sales gone up? Ah, it's a promotion. Is it? Why is, okay, so we should compare that to last year's promotion because what have we done differently this time? Is it performing better or is it due to media? Is it due to any other factor that we're bringing as e-commerce people to the table? So we have to understand that. We have to really get under the skin of everything we're doing. We don't have a website that we control. So we don't have as much data as another, as a, you know, a pure play e-commerce business does. And Perna Recard will never be a Perna, you know, purely e-commerce business. We make, we're great at what we do. We, we manufacture, we, we distill great brands and great products. And, and, and we're really good at selling, marketing those and selling them to our customers. And we have to understand, actually, from the data we get, what can we do differently and how can we understand what consumers and shoppers want and really what makes them want to buy our products over our competition. So for table stakes knowledge, it's about being curious for me. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of it is actually getting on with people within the business because e-commerce is it's bigger now. But you know, going back a few years, I used to say look, it's 5% of your business, but it takes up 100% of your time to get right. You're not going to have that airtime with a commercial director. You're not going to have his full attention like you might want it. Like uh, we're like we're like screaming children begging for attention. Uh, I've been that person in the past. It doesn't work. But actually, it's like bringing bringing a selling story about the future, about how we can how we can grow and you know and how we can invest to grow profitably. So it's commercial. It's being curious. It's it being commercially astute. And it's just being a self-starter, I think. And if you get those three things right, then you, other people tend to uh, tend to congregate around you because everyone loves e-commerce and digital. It's really big. It's sexy. It's it's exciting. But then actually, when you get behind it, it's just a load of spreadsheets and numbers. So how do you make that? How do you make that sing? 
Well, let's go a, a bit deeper on that one, because I think that kind of speaks to the heart of every global head of e-commerce's challenge. On the one hand, you're dealing with the spreadsheets and, and, and the belly of the beast that like people don't want to talk about. I mean, Rachel and I talk about that all the time. But if, like you said, if you're talking to your commercial leadership or you're talking even to your C-suite, they don't want to know about the nitty gritty. But at the same time, you need to communicate the level of complexity and how this differs from brick and mortar. Any And, and you have to do it with limited time, like you said like the shortest deck you could put together or the shortest email with three bullets that you could put together. What's the elevator pitch there? How do you explain the power of the opportunity, but also why it's different and why you can't just have like your same teams in brick and mortar doing this stuff online? I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that means I'm going to get fired. Can you realize that? No, no, I think, um, I think it is really tough. And I think that it does go back to that being curious bit. It's understanding what what your for me when what started to click when you know and some great advice I've had is understanding the person at the other side of the table. What is in it for them? What do they need to deliver? Right. So you know any national account team and that, and then that comes down to Sarah. Why is it? Why do you need different people doing e-commerce? In, you know, in my opinion, you need a, you know an e-commerce team within within a CPG company to really make it work because it's five percent of your business or ten percent. It takes up a hundred percent of your time. You have to get to know your customer because the customer, the online customer, is is building the plane while they're flying it as much as what we are, and they don't know what's going on. They need key partners to help. Um, so you build up this kind of pool of expertise amongst multiple different people. And I think that to make it really simple, it's like, if you're a growing business now, that's fantastic. What are you going to do in five years? And I've seen it time and time again with pure play customers, CPG com companies, are, you know, they're kind of used to five, you know, mature ones anyway, used to 5% growth being great. So I've seen it time and time again, when I come into a business or work with a business, when I was on the retail side of the fence, they go, oh, my business is growing 8% on the dot-com side of this business. And it's like, that's great. Well, my cat, your category is growing at 20%. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do in the future? Cause like, Oh yeah, but you know, we're quite happy. We are just like, we're milking the cow. It's profit driven. It's we're not investing too much and blah, blah, blah. But what happens when that 20% it happens over five years continuously. And then it's when you get into that will tail off eventually, that's not going to happen forever. Well it does. And then you get global financial crashes, which drove people online in 2008, 09 in the UK, certainly. And then you get global pandemics <laughs> where people can't go into store and, you know, then you're not set up for the future. And this is where, you know, it comes down to the shopper and it's such a cliche that put the shopper first, mm -hmm. but the shoppers are deciding where they want to shop. And it's all about speed and convenience. E-commerce does that. We either choose to ignore it and take short-term short-term growth and short-term wins or we can look to invest to grow for the for the longer term because it's not e-commerce is not going anywhere first of all super helpful so you don't deserve to be fired congratulations <laughs> thank you second of all as as somebody who's kind of been in similar situations um both both myself and rachel when you know 15 years ago i was trying to convince large marketers that search needed to be treated very differently because 
you buy ads and search very differently than you would your TV ads. It's not negotiated over three martini lunch. It's actually bought in an auction and it's text only. Um, and so trying to educate about the differences and why it matters. And then 10 years ago, both Rachel and I in social, when Rachel was head of digital and social at the Gap, um, and I was running a social media agency, if you would have applied the same principles of TV advertising to tweets, you would alienate your audiences and be non-discoverable and therefore not relevant. And so you need that center of excellence to not just evangelize, but, you know, educate and, and, and up-level that maturity curve um, with the bespoke environment before you can take the word digital out of that equation. And I think that's one of those things where there's such a, there's the, the enthusiasm level right now is quite high because the numbers are fabulous, but you yeah. know, the, 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 the efficiency story is going to be the one that's right around the corner and being able to say, wait, you still need to do this specialized until you start taking the training wheels off is probably one of the biggest, yeah. you know, tension points, at least that we're seeing right now. Absolutely. And what I've learned, over the, I've learned a couple of things over the past few years, which, which leads me, Rachel and Sarah, to that, that, that piece that said about, you know, I'm a bit wary of experts in e-commerce because I've been through this phase where if you let me loose and tell me, you know, a business, you can have whatever you want to grow e-commerce and blah, blah, blah. I'd, I'd probably bankrupt the business because I'd say, give me, <laughs> give me 10 times the budget now and I'll deliver 100 times the growth and everything. But then we'd spend the next 10 years waiting for it to pay back. So there's a there's a healthy balance to be had between you know the short term commercial needs of a business and to create long term healthy growth and that's what we're at. and that's one of the first things that I've always talked to when I've been on this side of the fence talking to a customer is like you know it's like look you know we're with you we're a partner we believe in e-commerce but like we're not gonna you know we're not gonna bankrupt the business just to get some short term growth here we need a you know a long term sustainable growth plan here and that was the same actually if I think back to my time at retailer side was exactly that there were customers and suppliers that will come with me and if we started talking about a year plan i knew that okay i can you know make the revenue i needed to hit my my category target and we can work on a year plan and blah 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 my time was really efficient there and then you know we could set out some really good goals and they would share with me their business business objectives and you know they'd tell me what was viable what wasn't what growth they needed and i'd you know make sure that happened as much as i could then there was other suppliers who would have one meeting a year and like just you know, want to do a test and learn and they'd be doing that for five years mm-hmm. and it's like well look you know please don't do it honestly it's not worth your time give do a test and learn over a quarter or half a year if, yeah sure um but you can't do it in in a one-off campaign you'll learn nothing and then i'm personally so tired of test and learn i actually last week read this book called the five dysfunctions of a team and it's, it's about leadership principles, mm-hmm. but one of the core principles is commit and go, like get rid of test and learn. You know, Stu, you sit in such a fantastic seat. You have insights from all across the world. When I've been talking with folks like you, I'm hearing really different stories in terms of what's happening in India versus South Africa versus the US versus the UK. 2020 explosive year. Can you share some sort of country insights that can give our audience more color into what's happening to the customer journey around the world? From my point of view, Rachel, we're going to, uh, I, I see it as actually there's been, I've been amazed at how many similarities there are in terms of, maybe it's, maybe it's a drinks thing. Yeah. Because human being, you know, Pernod Ricard's, uh, <laughs> you know, our, our vision, our logo is like the creators of conviviality. 
COVID is the most unconvivial thing to happen to our business, you know, in theory, because we believe in people coming together, using our brands to have a good time, drinking our brands when you're, you know, you're getting married, you're having a party, you're having, you know, a quiet drink with friends. There's a, there's a brand we have to suit every occasion, right? That's fundamentally the heart of our business. And then what we've seen is actually, you know, when you take the fact that people can't get together away, especially in, in our on-trade business, which has had real challenges this year across the world and our global travel retail business, which is, you know, um, you know, global travel has just gone through the floor. So it's been a real challenge. It's coming back a bit now, but that, that's going to be a challenge for a number of years. But actually what we saw was when, when COVID hit in March, uh, we were rolling out a new global e-commerce strategy, e-retail focused e-commerce strategy, how to win with customers with the right portfolio, getting all markets on board. We were doing that from January. March, COVID happened, and it was like, oh, my God, what do we do now, <laughs> right? We, we, we have to accelerate it. We have to keep going. But then what we did was we put in a COVID call every week because we were just getting calls from people asking that question, what is happening? And then we started talking to China, where, the, you know, where, where they were sort of early adopters, mature markets for COVID you know, in, in Asia. So they'd been through a little bit of it, and they, we said, well, what were consumers doing then? And hometainment became a, became a thing. You couldn't go and visit your friends, so you would start using Zoom, Teams, whatever, and you would start creating cocktails. You would have pub quizzes online, um, and then people carried on in that way. We were in the middle of it in Europe at the time, although we didn't really realize it. And um, we then were speaking to our uh, LATAM and USA colleagues on the same calls. And they were sort of like learning from us what's going to happen in our market. How can we get better prepared? And we just said, look, e-commerce is going to explode. That's happened in China. It's accelerated in China, which is hugely growing anyway. It's happening in Italy, where our Italian e-commerce manager said at one point it was their only. I asked him, how's e-commerce going? And he said, uh, it's our only operating channel. I was like, oh, um, that's quite sobering. Um, you know, forgive the pun. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but then um, our Latin American colleagues were kind of saying, well, what's going to happen here? Like, well, you know, prioritize e-commerce customers. If they shut down stores, this will happen. And consumers tend to be consuming at home in this thing called hometainment. So change your digital media to sort of talk about creating cocktail classes. If it's relevant, do some social social stuff with your uh, you know your entree colleagues who are mixologists etc who normally go into bars talking about great cocktails can can you create videos to tell consumers how to do it at home and we saw it's very similar across the globe even in uh, you know our spanish market which is a really oft entree driven market we saw people you know starting to drink at home a lot more mm. and we were there deciding to how do you do that in a convivial way so we we would uh, we saw a lot of similarities across that so I guess I, I just a kind of little bit to to build on that, given that shift to home, how has that changed the behaviors in your company? I'm sure, you know, the heroes of the company beforehand were people that were selling into, you know, entertainment venues, travel, things like that. Now you're the hero. <laughs> Mazel tov. <laughs> how, how does that shift the behaviors across the company as a result? Like, I think your point on moving to, you know, influencers showing videos on how to be your own mixologist at home is, you know, obviously quite smart. And you guys have done a hell of a lot to educate and and bring the experience home. But how does that change internally in terms of the behaviors of the company? Yeah, it's, um, obviously we, we've, we've, we've had to adapt. It depends market by market, depends on the sort of the, the culture in, in, you know, culturally in the market around, uh, you know, is it a you know, market that traditionally stays at home at this time of the year or, 
is it you know a market that goes out like from 10 p.m like you know our spanish uh colleagues tend to do you know they're much they go out later they eat later whereas in the uk we'll eat our dinner at seven and we're in the pub for eight and we'll be home for 12 they're they're still going in some in some european cultures they're still going at three in the morning you know um and it's very different so it, it does depend i think you know from working practices we you know our usa team did an amazing thing where they they created an e-commerce task force where they used on-trade colleagues who didn't have bars to go to and said, right, here's an e-commerce task force. And, and colleagues from across the business as well. That's just one example. And create a task force to really start to look at, um, okay, e-commerce has hit us. We have to accelerate. We need more people. We have a lot of people who, you know, their jobs will come back in the future, but right now we need them to do different stuff. So they create, we, you know, across the globe, there was many task forces created to help just process orders in some cases, in our, you know, in, in, in some markets, just to keep the, keep the, um, keep the show on the road and make sure that, you know, we were mitigating the effects for our business from our downturn in, in, in other parts of our business. So, you know, it's really trying to be agile and you know we're a decentralized business so that was quite useful so each market could do that and then globally we could just help coordinate some understanding um and then you know here's here's some guidelines go and make it work in your market this is what so-and-so is doing we think that's relevant for you etc and some markets got ahead of the you know and into we actually went in to speak to their customers first to say this is going to happen this is what we think is going to happen we're pretty sure of it um, this is what we want to do. Let's change this uh, media. Let's redirect some spend from this part of the business. Let's uh, put some of it over back into upweight digital, upweight e-commerce um, to to help make sure we're still present in people's lives. I mean, we absolutely saw that with you guys in the U.S. How aggressive your team was on the ground there, which was amazing to see. Uh, when it comes to being a decentralized organization, and you use the word guidelines. You know, you, you work in a category that's highly regulated and it differs country to country. We've had folks who represent the spirits category. We have listeners who are in cannabis. We've spoken to people in pharma. When you're operating in a category that's highly regulated and you're a global company, what's your advice to folks trying to operationalize their approach to e-com? Yeah, I think um, it's a tough one, right? Because, and also right now, regulation is changing every five minutes. I mean, Thailand has just banned e-commerce for alcohol um, for various different concerns. Um, there's talk of Russia opening up for alcohol delivery for e-commerce. And in you know, the UK, you can buy, it's probably one of our most liberal markets for having alcohol delivered. You can buy it from Amazon. You can buy it from Tesco.com as part of your groceries, et cetera. And you know, Ireland, you can only get alcohol delivered between, I think it's up to 10 p.m. in the evening or maybe earlier, right? So you can only have it delivered between 11 a.m. and 10 p.m. You can't have deliveries after then. So you know, even markets that are close together have different regulations and i think that's something that we you know as a business we're looking at with our with our industry partners to try and solve to make sure it's done you know we can deliver in a safe regulated way uh, and i think the industry has to look at that and we are looking at it right now but for us from a brand point of view it's about the the benefit of the product we don't think that go, you know people drinking too much it's not a convivial experience right <laughs> we've all been in the bar when someone's had too much it's not great so you know we're looking at different areas it's about quality not quantity um, we're a premium spirits and wines uh, business, and it's about introducing people to our brands in a, in a convivial way to help them make great drinks so they can enjoy it at the right occasions. So, you know, potentially using some of our entry level brands so people enter enter the brand at you know a cheaper price point than then lower price point, and then 
you know, they then come into looking at um, a higher style product and, and the difference between it about why it's more quality and you might, uh, it's got higher quality, therefore higher price, and it, it gives a better experience. But you have to be mindful when it's, it's from a global team when we're talking to different markets, it's a minefield because everyone's got different, you know, the recommendations we make might not be relevant for everyone. Some markets you can't deliver alcohol, it's over 15% in uh, ABV. So, you know, okay, so e-commerce is not really viable for our business for most of our products. So, and therefore it's potentially more of a wine market, but even so the volume might not be there. For two. It's just, it, it's something we, we haven't solved yet, but there's other areas we're looking at, like, you know, um, the creation of no, no, no and low and our venture into sort of, you know, with our Cedars uh, non-alcoholic uh, spirit, um, which is a gin substitute effectively. And you can make great cocktails with that if you choose not to drink at that point or if you're driving. Uh, and we've seen some really interesting trends around there. So I think it's, that brand sells more in December than it does in dry January. Really? The last data I saw. And, you know, there's lots of theories as to why that might be. But, you know, that's a real interesting thing for regulated industries is why, why do people want that product? at that moment and you need to, we need to understand that that's really fascinating to talk talking about temples you know we looked at trends on prime day and at least on day one nine out of the ten biggest movers and shakers in the uk were liquor products the tenth was the 4.5 kilo of toblerone um so i kind of look <laughs> at those as great pairings but that's a whole different story um yeah. so what do you think this this uh foreshadows for the holidays and and how are you planning for that yeah well at least it wasn't toilet paper and face masks so it's a bit more interesting (laughs) so you got to stock up on different things there there are different things that are important (laughs) at different moments yeah so the holiday season coming up is you know christmas is it's gonna be an interesting time for us the holiday season globally is what we can see in some of the data you know for e-commerce anyway it, it picks up in october and it peaks on december the 25th and then it comes down in january um as we you know and then there's different tactical events around the world that you know january feb like chinese new year that's sort of, but r- roughly you know this time of year we're coming into where we're in now and we're coming into really is our busiest time and i think that how we're preparing for it is that you know we, we it's a real challenge for us as a business right because we can't if we're having a busy time we can't go and create a new factory to start rolling off a load you know a load more canned goods to fulfill demand um that's the industry you know when i was in the dairy industry and in the, in the chilled meats industry you could do that here you know some of our products can take 12 years to mature to so they're ready for selling right if not longer so i think it's for us it's about you know making sure we're we're understanding the shoppers who are on the customer websites, we've got the right portfolio for those shoppers. And we're, we're sending that right portfolio to the right customers. And then we're using some of our entry-level brands. They're the most entry-level, so they get generally get the biggest traffic. Uh, and then we're introducing the higher styles uh, in brand pages on uh, on that customer's website, for example. So we, you know, we might look on Amazon, for example, to introduce people to Jameson. And then on that page, we'll have Jameson Caskmates, which is the next level up, different flavors. Then we'll go all the way up to Jameson Black Barrel, which is almost twice the price of the Jameson original. Um, but, you know, fantastic quality product. And then you can get into the super premium Irish whiskies, which aren't labeled Jameson, like Redbreast, Greenspot, et cetera. And there's a whole hierarchy there that we can take consumers and shoppers through. And then the right moment uh, to do some promotions on some of those products, to, you know, to, to help incentivize the conversion, to try it, and then hopefully create some loyalty, if that exists anymore in this day and age. <laughs> We see loyalty at a skew level, but not at a retailer level, but that's for a different episode. Uh, <laughs> Stu, 
We uh, are at the end and it's time to ask you our most important question, which is, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? <laughs> uh, this is the question I've been thinking about the most and for the longest because I'm a total coward. So um, probably not much. False. <laughs> so um, I asked my wife and she just looked at me last night. And she just said, well, watching me have a cesarean. And I then realized, and I think I probably blanked that whole episode eight years ago out of my life when my wife, God love her, had been in labor for about four days. And obviously I suffered more because I hadn't slept for four days. I was supporting blah, blah, blah. But then um, then she had an emergency cesarean and we were so happy to see our firstborn come along. And I remember when she told me last night and I then remembered that the doctor said, oh, hello. And I peered over the curtain and uh, I didn't faint and I didn't collapse. <laughs> and I still managed to hold my newborn uh, about two minutes later. And I think probably looking over the curtain was the stupidest. Maintaining my composure was probably the bravest thing I've ever done. Uh, but clearly not as brave as my wife who had to endure it. But, you know, it checks and balances. She had the drugs. I didn't. So um, that's uh, one of the one of the bravest things I've ever done. I love that you have to ask your wife. Uh, well, yeah, I think it was because I my mind went blank and uh, that, that was her immediate answer. So it must be the bravest thing I've ever done. And she's always right. So <laughs> love your wife. <laughs> <laughs> well answered. Well answered. Well, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us, um, your stories with us. I think this is going to be super helpful to our listeners. And uh, any any last thoughts on your end? No, I think, listen, thank you for having me. It's been great. And I think um, there's one thing, you know, I think someone, someone once told me when I was starting e-commerce at a business and um, I talked about having an e-commerce team, getting an e-commerce team to make things happen. And I think we're going to sum up. There's one thing that I've been thinking about while we've been talking this, this phrase that uh, a sales director said to me, has just been ringing through my ears. And I said, we had a meeting and he just looked at me and said, you know, you're your digital people always trying to build your empires and um, you can't go away and create the people's independent Republic of e-commerce. It's not going to work. And I went, <laughs> that is epic. That is the last thing we want to do. Uh, that is the last thing we'll do because if we do that we're separate from the business it ain't gonna work it's your PL as well you know on the click and mortar stores we're working with and i think it's your PL. we just need to bring these people who are focused on driving your fastest growing element of the business uh and then you know we did that and it worked brilliantly and i love the fact it's working transversely across the business e-commerce is not separate it's 100 a part of the overall business and that's what i love about it so that was just something i just wanted to share because it's been in my ears since we've been talking so I'm going to steal that positioning uh, forever. Who said that to you? The People's Republic of E-commerce, obsessed. People's Independent Republic. Oh, of independent. E yeah, which I, <laughs> makes it makes it resonate even more. And I never, I will never forget that. I mean, it's the and it's something we'll, we should never ever do. Agreed. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts, and don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up.
Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.